Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. How many of you are excited to see what God has in store for us this morning, man? Now, if you, if you haven't been here for a while, a few months ago, or a few, yeah, it was about a few months ago, we started a series called Irresistible. That series kind of led us into a series that we went into called Bible 101 for Adults. And that was a really powerful series where we talked about how we got the Bible. People know Bible stories, but not too many people know the story of the Bible and how we got the Bible today, where we're at. And so we really broke that down. And if you didn't catch either one of those series, I really challenge you to go back and you can watch them on Facebook. You can listen to them on our podcast. But that led us to a series that Pastor Kevin launched us into last week, and it's called Seeing is Believing. Everybody say, Seeing is Believing. Now, some of the most remarkable people that I've ever met, maybe some of the most remarkable people that you've ever met, that we've ever met, are people who we would describe this way. They are believe in spite of people. Anybody know anybody like that? They believe in spite of. Now, if you've ever met somebody like that, these are the kind of people who they're going through just unbelievable circumstances, like really difficult issues in their life. Maybe they're going through something with their family or something, uh, they're going through a divorce or they're going through some difficult stuff with their health. And these people just have this confidence in God that seems to be unshakable. Now, when I describe those people to you, now you know what I'm talking about? These, they believe in spite of, no matter what they're going through, and it defies all logic. They have this peace that surpasses, Paul describes it as, as a peace that surpasses all understanding, or in one version it says all comprehendence. Okay, human, human comprehend. We just can't imagine how they have this kind of peace. It doesn't make sense. And sometimes you, you may look at people that are these in spite of people, and you may think that they're in denial, um, but they're not in denial. They just really trust God. And at times it can be inspiring and almost disturbing, you know? Have you ever met somebody and, and you think, I think they're just in denial? Like, I've seen these believe in spite of people, and you're trying to console them, and they're kind of consoling you, and you're like, well, I know, you're just, you know, it's, it's okay, you're just living in la-la land, and it's okay to be sad, and they're like, but I just believe, and you're like, I know, but it's okay, I mean, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work out, and they're like, I know, but I just believe, and you're like, okay, <laughs> good luck, <laughs> right, right, we've all known those kind of people, and some of us are these kind of people, and that's great, um, but some of you, you may have come to church today, or you may have even become a Christian because you met one of these people who were a believe in spite of kind of person. And you think to yourself, maybe you wouldn't say this out loud, so I'm going to say it for you, but you think to yourself, you know what? I don't have that. 
I, I would like to have that because I don't have that. And, and I would like to have that kind of confidence going through what I'm going. If I was going through what they're going through, I wish I had that kind of confidence because I don't have that kind of joy when I'm going through circumstance. I don't have that kind of peace that they have. I wish I had that because I don't have a certain, I actually have a fear of what happens when I die. They just seem to have this belief in spite of, and these people, I mean, in spite of difficult situations and circumstances, they're just fine. And we want to know if the shoes were flipped or the roles were reversed, would we be fine in that same situation? Right? Come on, you've seen people going through some stuff and you've asked yourself, how would I be responding if I was going through what they're going through? Right? I've done that. I've seen so many people, and you go, I just can't imagine. And so you kind of try to put yourself, and we would like to believe that we could handle it in a really positive way because we internalize these things, and we want to know, how would I respond if I was going through that? When you meet these believe-inspired people, they're amazing, right? They're amazing. There's a gentleman that you may have heard of. His name is Dr. Francis. Collins. <clears throat> and Dr. Francis Collins met one of these believe in spite of people when he was doing rounds. He was in med school. He was doing his rounds and, and at a hospital in North Carolina. And you may have heard of this name because Dr. Uh, Collins was actually named the director of the Human Genome Project. Now, Many of you may know what that means, but I'm going to catch you up in case you're really unfamiliar But on what a genome is. A genome is an organism's complete set of DNA. Any organism and every organism has a genome, and the genome is the complete set of an organism's DNA, including all of their genes. So Dr. Collins was given this assignment to put a team together to map the entire human genome. 3.1 billion letters inside of every single one of your cells. Think about that. That's pretty remarkable. And, and what's remarkable is that this helps us in terms of how to predict what diseases might do or how to predict how diseases might infect or affect our families or family units and family systems. And it's remarkable. And this guy, Dr. Collins, is obviously a very, very bright man. But when he was 27 years old, he was working in a hospital and he was doing his rounds as a med student. Anybody know what that's like? I know not very many of you, but I know there's one in here that, that finished his rounds. And, you know, they just walk into a room and they take some notes and ask some questions and, and scribble some gibberish down. You know, who knows what they're really doing, right? I'm playing. <laughs> So they, they write some things down and he goes in and he's meeting these people and day after day he continues to bump into people over and over and over there in this hospital in North Carolina who keep talking about their faith and their relationship with Christ. He keeps bumping into believers over and over and over. People are dying, they have terminal diseases, and they could maybe be treated somewhat, but they really can't be cured, and they keep talking about their faith. 
They keep talking about seeing their relatives on the other side. They keep talking about being united with Jesus and their Savior. They keep saying things like that, and it is unnerving to this guy. The reason it's so unnerving is because where he grew up, he grew up with both of his parents were agnostic, okay? So it really didn't play, God never really played a part in his home life (laughs) until he wrote a book called, and he explains all this, called The Language of God, and I, I highly recommend this book. But in this book, he says this in response to all these people that he kept bumping into. He says, if faith was a psychological crutch, it must be a very powerful one. If it was nothing more than a veneer of cultural tradition, now let me translate for you. He's saying, in other words, if this is something that people just do in the South, or if this is just what uneducated people do, or if if this is just what mountain people do to make it through life, if this is just something that had to do with culture or tradition, then this is what he said. Why were these people not shaking their fist at God and demanding their friends and family to stop all this talk, all of this nonsense about a loving and benevolent supernatural power. I mean, they're dying and God is not answering their prayers, yet they believe in spite of. They're these believe in spite of people. And they still have this faith. Why are they not angry with God? And it was just unnerving to him. One afternoon, he's making his rounds. He's going from room to room, and he walks into this one room where he's talked to this lady several times. In his book, he talks about it, and she's, she's dying of congenital heart disease. They're treating her the best they can, but she's just going, and he's asking her these questions, and she turns, and she looks at him, and she says, Doctor, I've told you what I believe, but doctor, what do you believe? This question ended up changing his life forever. He says in the book, I just turned red and I kind of stammered, uh, uh, um, well, uh, uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure what I believe. This is his words, not mine. He says, faced, now maybe this is your word too and you just haven't embraced it yet, but he says, faced with my willful blindness. Listen, with my willful blindness. In other words, this is, I, I haven't seen it, but I haven't really looked either. I don't know, but I really haven't asked the questions. There, there may be something more, but I've never explored it. He says, faced with my willful blindness and my arrogance, I began a journey. And he decided to see what could be seen. He decided to discover maybe what could be discovered. And at the end, you know what happened? He became a believer. He became a Christian when he started to see the things that could be seen and explore the things that could be discovered. And he became a Christian and he continued as a believer throughout his whole life up until this day and through the entire Human Genome Project. In other words, there was more evidence there than he thought there was. But he never knew it until he looked for it. Okay? 
Now, the cool thing is this. Jesus predicted this, and John actually helped him. We're going through the book of John right now. We're talking about the signs. (coughs) But Jesus predicted it, and John helped it. Jesus said this. Jesus says, I'm going to give you enough evidence so that you can believe. And John says, you know what? I, I want people to know what I know. I want people to see what I saw. This is John, okay? He wrote the Gospel of John, what we know as the Gospel of John. Back then, it wasn't a gospel. or Back then, it was just a document. It wasn't even supposed to be in the Bible, okay? He just wrote this as a document. There was no Bible yet. John wrote this saying, I want you to see what I saw. I want you to know what I know. I want you to hear what I heard because I want you to respond the way I responded. I want your life to mirror my life because my life, I saw something that was fabulous. Because at the end of the day, and Pastor Kevin said this last week, and and I want to repeat it again. At the end of the day, Christianity is not about just believing or just taking it by faith. I've kind of struggled with that my whole life. I'm a pastor's kid, so I'm naturally rebellious. I'm just kidding. Just not really, but kind of, maybe. I don't know. So I've always naturally struggled when people just so, oh, just have faith, brother. Have faith, brother. Uh, Because that's so, that's a cop-out. That's so easy to say. You just say that, right? Come on. Nobody nobody in here, y'all are holy. Y'all don't say stuff like that. But when you don't know what to say, you just say, oh, just have faith, brother. Just have faith, sister. But listen, it's not believing just so that you have belief in something or, or faith just to say I have faith or whatever. But it's bigger than that. John and Peter and James and Bartholomew and all the rest, they didn't follow Jesus because of faith. You know that, right? They didn't follow Jesus because of faith. And Jesus would caution you probably to do the same thing. Don't follow Jesus because of faith. They didn't follow Jesus because of faith. They followed Jesus because of what they actually saw. And not only that, they followed Jesus because what they actually heard. Wow, that's a funny concept. And John encourages all of his readers when he writes this document that we call the book of John. And he says, I want you to believe and I want you to place your faith in Jesus because of what I've seen and because of what I've heard. Here here he says it in the gospel this way. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched he says that which is from the beginning now when he says the beginning he's not talking about genesis he's 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 not even talking about this document but he's talking about the beginning of this adventure with jesus okay jesus shows up on planet earth he makes these outrageous claims about himself and then he starts substantiating these claims by doing these unbelievable signs and wonders and john is there from the very beginning and john goes on he says look these things which we have heard in other words the things that i'm telling you are not things that were just told to me or whatever i actually heard these things with my own ears i was there and those things that that we saw me and peter and the gang we saw these things with our very own eyes and and not only that we touched with our hands we touched him This is his way of saying after the resurrection, okay, listen, 
the things that, that we saw, this wasn't a mirage. This wasn't a ghost. This wasn't just wishful thinking that turned into something that we thought we saw. This is what we're letting you know. And he continues and he says this. This is what we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. Now, I want to pause there for a second. The life appeared. I think this is John's way. Maybe this is just my interpretation. But this is John's way of saying, look, I'm a simple man. My father was a fisherman. I was a fisherman. I, I, Jesus shows up. He turned everything upside down. Don't ask me difficult questions. I'm not this big educator. I'm just a simple man. But all I know was as a Jewish boy, I, I believed in God. As a Jewish boy, I worshiped Yahweh. And then in this unbelievably mysterious turn of events, that God showed up he showed up as a man i saw him with my own eyes he became my rabbi he became my friend he was my he was jesus this is john saying i saw i worshiped this god all of a sudden bam He's right there as a man. Listen, I don't have all the answers to all these deep questions. All I know is that God came to this earth. And he goes on, he says, that life appeared. And what we have seen and testified to it, we proclaim to you what we have seen and what we have heard. Listen, I don't have all the answers John is saying, but all I know is I saw him. I saw him show up, and I'm telling you the things that I saw and the things that I heard him teach and say, just telling you what I saw and just telling you what I heard. John, he's writing this document. We know that John probably outlived most of his friends. We know he was one of the last men standing, so to speak. He was the last apostle, okay? And, and as the last apostle, apparently there's a group of people that encouraged John to write the, this document of the life of Jesus. Now, it's really cool when you study how the book of John came about and the theories and the discoveries, but most people would agree that John was very, very old when he wrote the document of John. Okay, a lot of people believe he was out of eyesight. He lost his eyesight when he wrote the, the document of John, most people believe he didn't know Greek, and that's why people think that maybe John didn't actually put pen to paper or stone, whatever, to tablet, however they did it, and that he actually dictated. He sat down with someone because we get the gospel of John. It comes to us in Greek. And so maybe John sat down and it was dictated and he wrote down everything that, that happened, and it comes to us as this gospel of John. But here's the most important thing, perhaps. John is not content with just telling us what happened. Okay? So in John's document, John could do like Luke. Luke sits down and, and Luke has this rich friend named Theophilus. Theophilus becomes obsessed with Jesus. And he tells Luke, I want to know everything. Everything about Jesus. This is awesome. I love this guy. So the book of Luke came just because Theophilus wanted to know about Jesus. So Luke documents everything in as much detail as possible for Theophilus. Not for the Bible. There is no Bible. 
just for Theophilus. John is encouraged to write this document, but John has an agenda. When he writes the document, he has an agenda. We've talked about this already in, in Bible 101. But John says this in John chapter 20, verse 30. He kind of writes his thesis statement here. <coughs> he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, when he says which are not recorded in this book, he's not talking about the Bible. He's talking about his document of John. And in fact, later on in, in his document, John, he says that Jesus performed so many miracles, they could not even all be crammed into one document. There's no way to get it all in there. But he goes on, he says this, but these things, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying there's tons and tons of miracles that Jesus did that I didn't even write about. But I picked these very specific signs. John doesn't even call them miracles. He calls them signs because they all point to something very specific about Jesus. He says, I wrote some very specific things so that you would believe what? That Jesus, now if, he's, if this is a Jewish person that's reading this, he's telling the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah who we've been talking about, who you've been looking for generation after generation after generation after generation. Jesus is the Messiah. And then he's talking now to maybe the Gentiles and these Romans who served all these, these other gods. And he says, or if, if you serve one God or many gods, whatever, I want you to know Jesus is the Son of of the God, God. And then he says, not only that, that when you believe this, you can have life in his name. And throughout the gospel of John, he refers to that as eternal life. And when he's talking about eternal life, John is not talking about life after death. Now we've talked about this a lot throughout our series too. John is referring to life that starts right now at the moment of believing that continues on, on and on and on. Because he's saying, look, I've done my very best to lay this all, all out so that your experience would mirror mine. And he refers to this eternal life because eternal life is living life knowing that there's something beyond this life. Okay? See, if you live life now with the assumption that there is something after this life, you live life now in a very different way, right? When you live believing, knowing that there's something beyond this life, it changes how you live life. So John lays out this sequence of events, and, and they're the things that brought him into fellowship. They're the things that brought him into fellowship with Jesus. And he's hoping that these conversations and these events that he writes down would do the same thing for you as a reader, okay? So he organizes his whole gospel, the gospel of John, around seven signs, okay? Seven events. Some people call them miracles. Seven signs, seven miracles that pointed to the identity of Jesus. And his hope is what happened to him would happen to the readers. So today we're going into the second sign. See, that was my opening. That was my opening statement. Nine pages of notes for my opening statement. 
All right. This, I'm only going to have you here till 1.30 today. <laughs> it's okay. The Baptist will be done with lunch. We'll be in and out right after that. So this is the second sign. If you have an English Bible and you open it up and you look at the second sign, it may have a header over the top of it. My Bible says it this way. The healing of a nobleman's son. Okay? All right. Any questions so far? Everybody caught up? We're good? All right. Here we go. So this is where we're picking up. What happened last week, Pastor Kevin, really, if you didn't hear last week, you got to go back and listen to it because the launch of this series with these signs of everything pointing to Jesus last week was so, so powerful, okay? Jesus shows up at Canaan, he, Cana, he shows up at a wedding, okay? Some things go wrong at the wedding. Mary, Jesus' mom, looks at Jesus, wants Jesus to fix it. Jesus looks at Mary and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't come to save weddings. I came to save people. Hallelujah. She gives him this other look and he saves the wedding. Okay? That's just it in a nutshell. Okay? Oh, in a nutshell. Anyway, that's just it in a nutshell right there. He comes, he saves this wedding, and, and that's the first sign. And, and last week we talked about what that meant and, and how it looked to us today. Why John put that sign in there? Because it wasn't just a sign that he could do miracles. It was a very specific sign for a very specific purpose, pointing to the identity of Jesus. After that, Jesus is way up north in Galilee, okay, and, and Israel looks like this, and, and he travels down to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, this was a big deal because if you read the Gospels, you study the Gospels, you can see a common theme. Every time Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he's in trouble. Okay? Every time he shows up in Jerusalem, somebody's trying to kill him or he says something that ticks a lot of people off and he's always just stirring up something in Jerusalem. That's why all throughout the gospel, all the gospels, he comes from Galilee, goes to Jerusalem, whoop, back to Galilee, stays there for a little while, to Jerusalem, whoop, back to Galilee for a little while, to Jerusalem, whoop, because it's much, much safer in Galilee for Jesus. And so this time he heads to Jerusalem. So he's going south to Jerusalem. So you got to imagine this. And he's going to celebrate Passover. Now the people, the apostles, those that are traveling with him are probably thinking, oh, I just hope we come out of there alive. I just hope we come out of there alive. I hope he doesn't say anything or do anything. Oh, man. Oh, and they're praying Jesus, 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 like we do. Except they were praying to Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> He shows up in Jerusalem, and the first thing he does is he goes to the temple. And sure enough, this is where we have the temple incident, you know, flipping, you know. <laughs> Jesus turns green and starts flipping tables or whatever. Okay, this is that incident right here. So Jesus walks in, and he's so offended with what he sees. And he, <coughs> he goes in, and he drives out all the money changers because they're charging too much interest. And he takes all the people who are selling pigeons and cattle and lambs and sheeps that are defective and all the people that are bringing these things that just don't meet the standard of the Old Testament that said the Israelites were to meet when they come and worship God. And so he drives them all out. He causes this huge scene. The people that are with him are like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to die for sure. We're going to die for sure. Jesus, why are you doing this? This is ridiculous. He drives everybody out. And then all of a sudden, the leaders of the temple, they're furious. They ask Jesus an important question. 
They didn't ask him, what in the world do you think you're doing? They asked him a better question. They said, who do you think you are? And he answered them. Uh-oh. If you ask Jesus a rhetorical question and he answers you, you know, that's not good. And so Jesus answers them. John tells us that while they were in Jerusalem, John's saying, look, I'll never, I'll never forget this. While we were there, while we were there, and he says this in John chapter 2, verse 23, he says, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. They believed what? In his name. A lot of people, a lot of people. Okay, this wasn't just John. John's saying a lot of people saw these things and they believed in his name because the formula, and that's the, the title of this entire series, seeing is believing. So while he's there, he has this famous conversation also with Nicodemus. And he goes to Nicodemus. He tells Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Nicodemus goes, what? How in the world can I be born again? Do I enter into my mother's room a second time? Oh, that's crazy. You don't ask Jesus those kind of questions. Okay? And so Jesus, Jesus basically tells Nicodemus, look, Nicodemus, you should know this. You're a leader. You're, you should know these things. And they have this conversation Jesus leaves there and he heads back. He's going back to Galilee. Now I'm I'm going through some some I'm skipping some things here, but it's it's not, you know, I'm not hiding anything. You go read it later. It's just not to a point of where I'm going. Jesus heads back to Galilee and he goes through Samaria. Now when he goes through Samaria, Jesus ends up alone by himself at a well. And at this well, he meets what the Bible refers to as the woman at the well. Now, maybe she had a name, maybe she don't. I'm pretty sure she had a name. We'll find out her name in heaven. But for now, she's just the woman at the well. Jesus has this conversation with her. She goes, whoa, whoa, hang on. You're a Jew and you're a man. I'm a Samaritan woman. We're not supposed to be talking. And Jesus says, oh, hang on. Look, you've been coming to this well every day, drawing water out of here. Listen, I'm about to give you something that will never, ever, ever run dry. That'll never run out. Through this conversation, she becomes a believer of Jesus. She becomes a believer of Jesus. And, and so the, John tells us that she goes back to her village, Sitkar. And when she goes back to her village, Jesus is following. And this is a foreshadowing of what happens. But she goes back to the town where she's from in, in Sitkar. Now this is a Samaritan town with a bunch of Samaritan people. And the Bible says that they believe, John writes, that they believed based on the testimony of this woman. Everybody in that town became believers, John writes, because of the testimony of this woman. So this lady has an encounter with Jesus. She goes back to her village and she tells everybody about this encounter she had with Jesus. And it was so powerful that they all believed. And then he makes his way back to Galilee, and that's where our story picks up as we lead into this second sign. Now, the Bible says this, John writes, Once more, 
He visited Cana in Galilee. Now, when he writes this, those that are reading his documents, like, oh, yeah, they know exactly what he's talking about. He's back up north, okay, Cana. Um, he's, this is where he performed the, the miracle. This is where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, think about this. The first sign that Pastor Kevin talked about last week, it's a joyous occasion, okay? It's a wedding. Woo, that's awesome. Jesus performs his first sign right there that John writes about. The second occasion that John writes about that he puts in, it's completely the opposite. It's a terrible occasion. It's sickness, and it's leading to death. But what I want you, maybe this is not a big deal to you, but I want, it's a big deal to me, so I'm going to make it a big deal this morning. But I want you to know that Jesus wades into both situations. He's concerned about the joyous occasions in your life. That's a big deal to him. And he's also concerned about the sorrows and the hurt and the fears that's in your life. He weighs into both of these situations. He gets involved. Now, there's really two details that I want to point out before we get too far into this story. The first detail is this. It says, the son lay sick. If you'll put that verse back up there, TJ, for a second. It says, the son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is about an eight hour walk from where Jesus is at in Cana right now. Eight hour walk. Now, most people, if you study this, you find out that by chariot and horse, it's usually two and a half to three hours. So it's an eight hour walk from Capernaum to Cana where Jesus is at. So that's the first thing I want you to kind of make a, a mental note of for a second. The second important detail is this. He is a royal official. See? Once more, he visited Canaan and Galilee where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official. This means something. There's a couple things. One, he's a Jewish aristocrat. He's wealthy. He probably didn't walk the eight hours to get to Jesus. So since he's wealthy and since he's a man with power, more than likely he, he took a chariot or a horseback, depending on how many people were riding in his entourage. But he's an aristocrat, so that probably means that he's a Sadducee because of where he's at, the time he's at, and, and who he is. So there are two important groups of people in Jerusalem and Judea at this time. There are the Pharisees, who you hear about all the time. We talk about the Pharisees a lot. And then there are the Sadducees. The Pharisees are the very religious people. Hallelujah. Okay? The Pharisees would have all been here this morning before 10 o'clock. See, some of you are like, that's why I came in late. Because <laughs> I'm not a religious person. I come in when I want to come in. <laughs> so the Pharisees, they, they're the religious people. They believed um, in, and they kept the law meticulously. Pharisees believed that God was involved in all the details of life. Pharisees believed for the most part that there was a resurrection of the dead that was soon to come. Sadducees, on the other hand, they were the more intellectual. They were thinkers. They were more deterministic. They weren't sure that there was an afterlife. There was lots of debates about it, and they were on the mm, not-so-sure side. 
They believe that we were here simply for the pleasure of God and that everything is already determined, that your health is already determined, that your kids, your, your wealth, your money is already determined, your kids' sickness is already determined, uh, how much money you have, where you fall in society. All those things were predetermined. It's already all set. You don't really ask God for anything because what's going to happen is just going to happen. Your fate dictates everything, and your fate is already determined. But today, this royal official, who we can probably safely assume is a Sadducee, gets to this point, and all of that gets thrown out the window. Why? Because he is a desperate father. Think about it. It doesn't matter really what you've believed and how you've grown up your whole life and what you stand for. A lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times when it comes to this life and death moment, especially with our children, all that goes out. We don't care anymore. If there's an option to save our kid, then we're going to go with that option. And so... All the, all the sudden, periphery gets thrown out and all, all this stuff gets pushed to the side and, and someone is suffering. This father who's scared to death, who's about to die in John 4, 47, says this. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him. Now, three hours by horseback or chariot, probably we can safely say that he didn't walk at this point. And he begged him to come back to his hometown. So he's asking Jesus to please go back to Capernaum with me and heal his son who was close to death. Now, I have a theory about this part. I'm just making this up. Uh, so don't anybody get offended or take it too seriously. But here's what I think happened. I think that they had heard all the stories of Jesus. They had heard these rumors about Jesus, and they found out that Jesus was in the area up north, back on their side of the country, the nation, and, and his wife told him, you go and you get Jesus and you bring him back here. This is my theory. It's my theory. And it's based on years of experience and research. And this man probably said, I can't, I can't leave my son. He may not make it till I get back. I can't leave you and the family with, with him. I, I just can't do that. And she said, go bring this Jesus here now. Amen. Right? Amen. Just a theory. Just a theory. But I feel like it should be gospel. And so this husband, he has to make a decision. Do I leave my, my son dying, knowing that I may not ever see him again? Or should I just send a servant? And besides, these are just rumors. They're just rumors. We don't even know this guy. We don't know if it's really, really true. Other people say he's even from Bethlehem. We don't even know where this guy's actually from. But the verb tense says that he was pleading with Jesus over and over and over. He, was, he forgot dignity, forgot his position in society, forgetting his theology, forgetting his worldview. He was saying, my son is dying. Please, 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 will you come back and help me? Some of you have been there, right? Maybe some of you, for 
You, the first prayer that you ever prayed was a desperation prayer, right? And, and if that wasn't the first prayer you prayed, you probably prayed it. And, and people that don't know God, and, and I'm not being facetious when I say this, their first prayer may have been this, to whom it may concern. I, I don't know if anybody's out there. I don't know if anybody's listening. But if you can hear me, if you are listening to me, I need you. Right? Those are desperation, these desperation prayers. And what Jesus says next seems really insensitive, but it's not. It's just the way our, we get our English translation. But Jesus says something where he's not actually even addressing the nobleman. He's addressing the crowd because at this point, Jesus had a crowd everywhere he went. In his ministry, people followed Jesus everywhere, especially after this whole Cana you know, water to wine thing, okay? Words spread about Jesus like wildfire. Now people are following Jesus everywhere. And so there's a crowd with Jesus and basically Jesus is saying what he knew to be true and he's addressing the crowd, not the nobleman. And he says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you actually see something, you're not gonna believe. And, and this sounds kind of like an indictment, but it's not. He's basically saying what's true. I mean, why should you take me seriously? Why should you just believe these things that, that I've said about myself and that now people are saying about me? Because it, I know it seems outrageous, and it actually only is going to get worse in the future. So why should you take me seriously? And Jesus is stating that there's no way anybody's going to believe me. No way you're going to accept unless I do something that convinces you because I know the formula and the formula is seeing, is believing. I'm not expecting anyone just to have faith, to have faith. I'm not expecting anyone to have faith because pastors can get up and razzle-dazzle people into this faith. That's not what it's about. And so Jesus decides to give them something to talk about. Okay? He decides to give them something to talk about. And he says, you know what? If we're going to do a wonder, let's make it so wonderful that people talk about it for 2,000 plus years. And of course, the nobleman, he's like, okay, okay, whatever, whatever. Do, do what you got to do. He leans into Jesus in John 4, 49. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Sir, what he's saying is, Lord, I know in society you're above me, but today I put myself underneath your authority. He, he addresses him as sir. He says, I know that I have power, that I rule over you, but today I'm putting myself underneath you. I know that today even the friends and the, fam the people that have traveled with me are appalled by my actions because they can't, they can't understand why I have bowed down and why I have submitted myself to you. But at this point, I have no option because my son is dying and I am a desperate father and I need you, Jesus, to do something. But the interesting thing when you read this on your own is this guy is also very confident. He's confident because he believes that if he can just get this rabbi to his son's bedside, everything's going to be all right. Why is he so confident? Why did he make this long trip, this long journey? Why did he walk away from his son when his son is dying? Why did he leave his dying son in the hands of friends and family to go chase this Jesus? 
Rumors. That's one. That's the answer. The answer to that question is rumors. There were rumors. Rumors of a son of God. Stories of a savior. Holiness with human hands. In his mind, he had two options. One, Jesus comes with me. Two, he doesn't. Okay? One, Jesus comes with me. Perhaps all these rumors are true and Jesus is who he says he is and, and, and he comes in and, and maybe my son's healed or he doesn't come with me and my son's going to die because he's already on that path anyway. Jesus is probably sitting there as he's going through these options and Jesus is smiling at him because Jesus has a third option. Jesus has a third option because uh, Jesus is going to ask him to do something that people have been doing Ever since, Jesus is going to ask this nobleman to trust him based on the testimony of other people. He's going to ask him to entrust your son to me based on stories that you've been told about me. Jesus turns to the nobleman and he says, go. Now, that word go, if you look at it in Greek in the context, if you tease that word out the way Jesus says it, it carries this idea. Jesus is saying, go on. Go on about your business. Just go. Don't hurry and don't worry. Just go. But I'm not coming with you. You have nothing to worry about. He says, go, Jesus replied. Your son will live. Come on, dads. If you were in that situation and you came down there with these two options, you, you want me to, Jesus, I came to get you and you're telling me, go, don't worry, just go, go, everything's going to be okay, just go. Because Jesus, if I go and I go back home, there's going to be two deaths in my family today, Okay. Another assumption, I'm just reading into this, but I think it should be gospel because we know that's the truth. I show up back there without you. That, that, that can't happen. You want me to just, well, I had two categories. You go with me, my son's healed. You stay here, my son dies. And you want to say, you're going to stay here, but my son's still going to live? That doesn't make any sense to me. I think you need to come with me. Okay, I think you need to come with me. He, this man probably looks at the people that came with him and he's thinking, should we just grab him? Should we just grab him and take him? Because I am desperate. This is a desperate situation. Now Jesus is telling me, go on. Just take your time. Don't be in a hurry and don't worry. Buy the flowers for the missus. Maybe wait until the heat of the day passes, but then head on back home. No big deal. And when you get home, everything's going to be okay. Are you kidding me? You kidding? That's what you want me to do, Jesus? This is where we, we all live. I put C in there. I don't know why. This is where we all live. Right here. This is where we live. And that's why this is so brilliant. Because these aren't just random acts of kindness. Jesus is painting and laying a path that men and women will be walking 
again for thousands and thousands and thousands of years from now. A path that many of you have walked in. A path that many of you are walking in. A path that many of us in the futures will continue to walk in. It's, the li- it's a lifetime reduced to a day. Some of you, you're not getting what I'm saying yet. This is your lifetime, a lifetime reduced to a day where you're asked to date Jesus at his word based on the words of other people. You're asked to entrust your life to Jesus, your health to Jesus. You're asked to trust your finances. You're asked to trust your marriage. You're asked to trust your kids, your kids' health to Jesus based on the words and the testimonies of other people. And then you're supposed to go out about your day with unanswered prayers. Confident that there's maybe something to this man. This is where we live, right? Come on, this is where we live. This is what our, our whole lifetime is reduced to a day in this story right here confident that there's something to this man that there is in fact uh, he is who he claimed to be and he is who he demonstrated but the fact is he is who he claims to be he is who he said he was as I said earlier we've all seen people do that they carry these unanswered prayers and these burdens that won't go away sickness that won't be healed financial situations that aren't going to turn around wives that aren't coming back home kids who aren't coming back home parents who act like children we've seen people carry this and yet they still have this joy they still have this peace they still have this confidence and it's intimidating and at the same time inspiring inspiring that they are believed in spite of in spite of kind of people it's inspiring and it's why dr francis collins came to faith and it may be why you came to faith it may be why you're going to make a decision to start believing in this jesus and you know what this means for the rest of you for most of you follow jesus There's this nagging unanswered prayers. There's this thing maybe that you've been praying about that God won't do. And you continue to serve and you continue to give and you continue to listen and you continue to be faithful. And every single night you pray over and over and over. It feels like your prayers are on repeat over and over and over. And you're tempted to wonder why and where is God? But you remain faithful. And do you know who's watching you? You don't. You don't know. And, and, and do you know what God is doing in the lives of people around you because of your faithfulness? You don't. And do you know who is one day or one month or maybe one year or five years from placing all of their faith in Jesus because of you? You don't. We don't know that. This is our lives condensed in a day. So the nobleman, I mean, can you just imagine? He's stunned. 
And he's like, either you're coming with me or you're not. And Jesus is like, listen, you're going home without me, but don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. And the nobleman just stares. He, he looks at his entourage and he just stares because now he's so confused and he don't know what to do. And he's, he's going to go home with, not with what he came for. And I can imagine this, that he exhales. And he makes a decision. A decision that people have been making for 2,000 years. Not an exaggeration, but a decision that changes literally the trajectory of his life, that changes the trajectory of people's lives who make this same decision. He decided to believe Jesus and to live as if what Jesus said was true, even though he didn't see any evidence. He made a decision to just take Jesus at his word. Yet the text continues and it says this, the man believed the word Jesus spoke to him. And here's the most important part. And then he behaved as if what Jesus said could be trusted. It says this, and he departed for home. Imagine this, he walked away. At that moment, he walked away from the only person who could save his son. He walked away from the only person that could heal his son because he decided to trust the words of this man. He decided to trust the, the testimonies of people that they had been talking about this Jesus. Christians, if you didn't grow up in church, or, or people, if you grew up, you heard this. If you didn't grow up in church, you've probably been around Christians that have said this. But he walked home by faith and not by sight. Can you imagine? Some of you can. You've lived your whole lives like this. Walking by faith and believing in things that you can't see. And again, it's a lifetime condensed in a day. And John writes this. He says, while he was still on his way, while he's still on his way home, wondering what he's going to face when he gets home, wondering what he's going to say to his wife, his servants met him with the news that the boy was still living. Now listen, they didn't come halfway to meet him just so they could tell him the boy is still breathing. They came to tell him that the son was better. The son is getting better. And when he inquired as to the time when the son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And a chill runs down the spine of this nobleman. And tears fill his eyes. He looks back towards Cana. And at that moment, John writes. John writes and says that the father realized that that was the exact same time when Jesus told him, go, your son's going to live. Everything's going to be okay. Can you imagine in that moment? His servants tell him, your son's fine. He says, when? How did this happen? One o'clock yesterday, and immediately he remembers Jesus' words. The same time. Jesus is saying, I'm not coming with you, but don't worry. Don't get in a hurry. Everything's going to be all right. I can imagine at that point he kicks his horses or he slaps his chariots, whatever. He says, go. He leaves in the dust he flies back home as fast as he can he gets home his wife meets him she runs outside and she says you're not gonna believe it a miracle has happened 
And then she notices he's not surprised at all. She looks around and she goes, where's the rabbi? And he says, baby, sit down. I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. John goes on and he writes, as a result, he and his whole household believed. He sat down with his wife and he told her the story of what happened. He told her the story of what happened. And as a result, his whole household believed. And of course they did, right? You would have believed because seeing is believing. It's, it, even when you haven't seen it yet, once you see it, seeing is believing. He found out that those testimonies, that those rumors about the Son of Man, about the Savior, about holiness with human hands were true. John 4, 50, the very last verse in this chapter says this. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now, I said something. I want, to, I want to wrap up with this. Mario, if you could help me. I want to go back for just a moment to this phrase, walking by faith. Now, if you grew up like me, this, this I know, and I, please don't be offended with me. Please, please, please. So I'm not trying to be mean or facetious with this statement. But that walking by faith has always bothered me. Because it seems like such a cop-out. All the time. When we don't know what to say, we just kind of say that. And, and when you're in the middle of something, and trust me, I've been in the middle of some just nasty junk before, and somebody tells me, oh, just have faith, brother. Man, that makes me mad. I'm in the middle of stuff. Just don't tell me to have faith. You're not where I'm at. It's easy for you to say that on the outside. But I struggled with that. But, but when, when people say that, here's what they didn't tell us. Walking by faith is not walking by hope. Walking by faith is not walking with wishful thinking. I'm going to tell you what walking by faith is. And if you have a pen, write this down. If you want to grab your phone and take a picture, I'm going to put it up on the screen. But walking by faith is living every single day of your life as if Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. That's what walking by faith is. It's not wishful thinking. It's not hoping in something that doesn't exist. Walking by faith is living every single day, living it as if Jesus was right, as if the things that Jesus said were true. It's as if God actually really is your heavenly father. Jesus said, hey, when you pray, address him as my father. My father, listen, he is your perfect heavenly father. Whenever you're confused about God, think this, perfect heavenly father. Whenever things don't seem to go the way that you think they should go, think about this, perfect heavenly father. When you can't make sense of the scripture and it's just confusing and you're trying to figure it out, think this, perfect heavenly father. Father, to walk by faith, to live by faith, is to live as if your sin really has been, past tense, forgiven. 
you, you either believe it or you don't. Walking and living by faith is believing that he did actually pay for it. Living by faith is believing that you don't have to wake up every day and confess and confess and cry and cry about the same old sin, same old sin, because God actually paid for it. Living by faith is actually believing that you don't have to pay him back. Living by faith is receiving and believing in a free gift that he just loved you so much. He just, he loved you so much that he saw the broken system. The old covenant was broken and it was messed up and, and people were making these sacrifices and they made the temple something that it was never meant to be. They made a king something they were never meant to be. And God shows up in the form of a human. John saw him and talked to him and he wrote about him. The reason Christianity changed the world is not because everybody got their prayers answered. The reason Christianity shaped the Western culture is not because everybody gets what they want, but the reason Christianity shaped the Western culture is written at the very end of the gospel. And Jesus, he says this, okay guys, listen, I'm leaving and I'm coming back and then I'm going to leave again. But when I leave, I'm going to come back and, and I, wa I want you to hear this. I'm saying this. By this, all people will know that I am who I claim to be and that you are my follower by the way that you treat each other. And I can imagine him saying this to the guys. And the worse it gets for you, the brighter your light will shine because you're going to be believe in spite of kind of men and women. And people aren't going to understand. People aren't going to understand why you have this faith that you have. They're not going to understand how you have peace that surpasses all human comprehension when your life is hell. The worse it gets for you, unfortunately, your light is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter. So I'm sorry, it's not always going to be a yes to your prayers. It's not always going to be a yes. You don't, you're not always going to get the answer that you want. But know this, that I love you like crazy, unconditionally. And you are now ambassadors of that love that I'm talking about. You are now ambassadors. And he's talking about the exchange this morning in 2019. He's saying you are the ambassadors of a unique brand of love. It's the, as I have loved you, kind of love. This is what changed the world. This is what will change marriages. This is what will change churches. This is what changes cities and cultures. If we can find this again. One day they're sitting around with Jesus and they're all getting frustrated. And Philip says this. Jesus, okay, okay, okay. I get what you're saying. You're kind of confusing me and everything. But Jesus, we just want to see the Father. Show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to know what the Father looks like? He looks like me. He acts like me. He loves like me forgives like me 
He keeps no records of wrongs like me. You want to know what God looks like? As you read the word, as you read scriptures and you go, I I just don't get it. If you want to know what God looks like, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus. WWJD. Yeah, that was for real. That makes sense now. It's Jesus. Do you know what it means and what the implications are when we do that? Man, who knows? It's the reason men like Dr. Francis Collins came to faith. Knowing that our love, that our giving, that our faithfulness, that our generosity is anchored to something real, that it's anchored to someone real. And at the end of John's account, and we're going to get to this later, but I'm going to give you a little heads up. Jesus has been crucified. He's now risen from the dead. And they're gathered with him. And, and he's saying some kind of final things to him. And he understands that the reason that they came back to faith is because they watched him die. They went to his tomb. They saw the empty tomb. And now they're sitting there having a conversation with him. And so Jesus knows that, that these men are probably going to start documenting the experiences And then generation after generation after generation, they're going to recognize what these men recognize. Not because we saw it, but because of their testimony. And Jesus makes this statement, and it's so powerful. And man, I've read it so many times throughout my life and through ministry. But it just means something so different. He says, you guys believed. You believe because you've seen me. Because you've seen me, you believe. You watched me die. You watched me get put in a tomb. You show back up at the tomb. It's gone. Rumors are flying all over the place that my body was stolen. Then you actually have breakfast with me on the beach. You've seen me. So you, you believe it's easy. But then he makes a statement that is for you and, and for your children and for your children's children. He says, but Blessed, be blessed, most blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. They believe. And he's talking to his disciples based on your testimony. People are going to believe and they haven't seen what you've seen. They haven't heard the things that you heard and they will believe because they will hear your words. John wraps it up and he says, listen, there's a lots of, lots of, lots of miracles, lots of signs that Jesus performed, but I wrote these down so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And my hope is that this journey that we're on right now as, as a church, as a body, going through this, the book of John and these signs, that you will hear the things that John heard and you'll see the things that John saw and you too will make a decision that John made. And, you, and you're probably here sitting here going, okay, uh, listen, PJ, here's the thing. If I saw... My son, you know, if I saw what this holy royal guy saw at Capernaum, I too would believe. Of 
course you would. But here's what I would say to you. Pick up the Gospel of John this week. Okay? I, I, I dare you. Okay? Maybe you're like me. I'm one of those. Don't dare me to do things. I love dares. I dare you to pick up the Gospel of John and read it. Don't read it as a part of the Bible. Read it as a document of an old man who was with Jesus. He actually saw him and he talked to him. He walked with him. He listened to him. And as you read it, maybe something will happen that no one can explain. It's what Dr. Collins felt. He writes this in his book, Dr. Collins. He says, it's not enough to read the notes on the page, but at some point you're going to have to hear the music. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? I'm going to ask you to just do something with me for a minute. But I want you to examine your own life, your own journey. Walking by faith is living your life as if Jesus actually is who Jesus claimed to be. Living your life as if what Jesus said was actually true. Walking by faith is not wishful thinking. It's not just this blissful hope. Walking by faith is living as if Jesus is real. And so I ask you this morning, would you just examine that? That inside your own life. It, it, ask yourself, is that who I am? Is that the kind of faith that I walk? Is that the kind of faith that I, I live out every day? Because the implications of that faith are, are reciprocated by people around you recognizing that faith. When you have that kind of faith, when all hell is breaking loose in your life and, and, and everybody is looking at you going, why are you not a basket case? Why are you not just losing your mind right now and you're still hanging on to this faith? That kind of faith is staggering. And people outside of this church who don't know Jesus the way you know Jesus, they will see that faith and they will want it. They want to hope when all hope is gone. They want to feel found and not feel like they're lost, just banging their head on every wall in these dark rooms. Is that the kind of faith that you live out? Is that who you are? Father, I ask right now, Jesus, God, that every individual in this room God, those that are watching online, those that are, are listening to the podcast, God, I pray right now, Lord, that we become men and women that walk by such powerful faith. Not just a hope, not just wishful thinking, but a faith knowing that you are, in fact, God who was revealed to us through your precious son, Jesus. God, and when we get confused and when we don't understand and, and when we're discouraged, God, we, we look to Jesus. 
Jesus as our, our foundation, as the cornerstone. The stone that, that builders rejected God. But he's our capstone. He's our corner. He's our firm foundation, God. So, Father, I pray that that kind of faith will rise up inside of us. God, I pray that that kind of faith will just be duplicated and echoed. I pray that that kind of faith will be visible and evident to everyone that we come in contact with. That they'll say, well, I don't understand why you go to church every Sunday. Why you're so faithful. I don't understand why you're so full of joy. I don't understand why everything is always just good to you. Why the glass is always half full. Because we believe, Jesus, you are who you said you were. And we're holding on to the testimonies and the words that John wrote because he wrote them for me, Jesus. He wrote them for me, Jesus, that I would believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And that through you, God, I have the most amazing, full, abundant life that I could ever ask for. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Come on, we give God a hand clap this morning. I hope, uh, I hope you go back and you listen to these. I, I hope you go read the, the book of John. Um, it's really fun to try to read it and not read it like the Bible. Okay? It's hard if you've grown up in church and, and you've been uh, just programmed. It's hard to not read it like the Bible. But just remember, when he wrote that, he wasn't thinking Bible. He was just thinking, I need everybody that reads my document to experience what I, what I experienced. And when you read it that way, man, I said this a, a month or so ago when we were talking about Bible 101 that the document of John is one of the only books that if you could only take one book of the Bible and live your life and have everything you need, John, John did it. He wrote everything that we need every step of the way right there in that one document.